Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine. How are you this fine evening? This show is brought to you by the Centers for Bioindividualized Medicine, finding answers through genetics and integrative medicine. Uh, here in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, in southeastern Pennsylvania. I am very happy you're joining me tonight. Tonight's episode is called Reading Your Genetic Profile Without Losing Your Mind, Part the First. Uh, if everyone does not have tonight's PDF in front of them, they should go to my website, drjessarmind.com, uh, click Radio Show, and the updated PDF will be there so you can follow along with uh, what we're doing tonight. I want to tell you that the, the reason that I decided to go ahead and do this is because on the blogs, which I'm uh, honored to be on, uh, I often see people uh, say, you know, I, I have uh, homozygous COMT or I'm THFR, I'm MTHFR uh, compound heterozygous, and they're taking it as a... Um, something that is a single entity that might be hurting them. And um, I thought that I would take some time over the next couple of shows to uh, give you an orientation to exactly what the polymorphisms are, how they may or may not be affecting you, and how you might determine that. So, as I said, the purpose of this presentation is to give you a general idea of what the polymorphisms are. That's the they're also known, hold on, my mouth will work. They're also known as single nucleotide polymorphisms or lovingly known as SNPs. And I'd like you to know what they mean and how you may determine if they're expressing you. The presence of the polymorphisms or SNPs does not mean that there's a problem in the indicated pathway. Just because you have a polymorphism does not mean you're ill. Then again, the absence of a polymorphism does not mean that the pathway is working normally. Okay, I, I sent this over to Ben Lynch uh, for his opinion about, my, um, about the uh, PowerPoint, and he came back and said, don't forget to tell them that <laughs> you, know, you can have uh, a perfectly normal pathway and still have problems with it. And the fact is, people, that the SNPs may or not, may not be expressing in you. That's why it's always advisable to consult with a healthcare provider to help put it all together. By themselves, the genetic SNPs are informative, but they can get confusing. Okay, legal stuff. This is an informational lecture. The information may or may not pertain to your specific condition. I cannot give specific recommendations for treatment. I'm really sorry, but treatment should be properly done on an individual basis in consultation with your healthcare provider. And um, please understand there are numerous interpretations of the polymorphisms. This informational lecture is from my own personal research, knowledge, and experience, and there may be other differing interpretations. And permissions. Uh, the study we're going to look at is from one of my patients utilizing the raw data from the 23andMe.com and the app at mthfrsupport.com. The patient has given me his kind permission to share his findings. I have deleted all identifying information, but I did want you to know that I had his express permission to utilize um, his findings. Most of my research was done at Snippedia or genecards.org unless I indicate otherwise. And if you notice, if you treat the SNPs incorrectly, you'll notice what we did to the cats in an experiment. Um, they were not happy. They were glowing, but they were not happy. So hopefully everyone has gotten their, um, the PDF in front of them. So how about we go ahead and dive in? Uh, what I'm going to do is tonight I'm going to do part of the entire MTHFR uh, reading, the whole, there's about 300 SNPs, okay? Uh, the visual, Carol, who's uh, asking over here, if you go to uh, drjessarmine.com, go to radio shows, okay, click it there, and then you can download the visual for this. Okay, and I'm going to stop at about 8.45, so you can ask questions, okay, either by phone or on the chat, 
because I can't run the chat and talk at the same time. But I'm going to leave time open for questions. The next show we have will be part the second, and I will do the rest of the polymorphisms, okay? But, okay, let me explain to you people what, what the genes are and what the SNFs are that we're looking at. A gene encodes an enzyme, okay? It creates an enzyme. Enzymes are what run metabolic processes in the body. A polymorphism or SNP may indicate that the enzyme encoded by the gene in question may not be working at its usual efficiency. The normal gene, the negative negative or green, means that the enzyme is working at its usual efficiency, generally speaking. Heterozygous SNPs, the plus minus, which you usually see as yellow, indicate that the enzyme may be working at about 60% efficiency if it's expressing. Homozygous, the red or the plus plus, indicates that the enzyme is working at 10 to 20% efficiency. I want you to think of it this way, and I've, I've been using this analogy with people for a while and it seems to work. I want you to think of the biochemical pathways as highways that are able to process a certain level of traffic to produce their stated result. So you have pathways that detoxify, that create glutathione, uh, that metabolize excitatory neurotransmitters, that create ATP. These are all pathways, okay? The MTHFR is not a pathway, it's an enzyme. It's part of the methylation pathway. Real important, but it's only one part of the methylation pathway. Normal expression, the green, the negative-negative, is like an eight-lane highway. Let's think of it like that. Heterozygous, or yellow, the plus-minus, is like a four-lane highway. And homozygous, plus-plus, which is also red, is like a two-lane highway. Well, in your body, everything will be fine <clears throat> if the traffic is light, okay, like when you were a baby. If you're putting 10 cars a minute through a highway, it doesn't matter whether it's eight lanes or two lanes. It's going to handle that amount of traffic. But if you're trying to push 12 lanes of traffic into an eight- or four-lane highway, <clears throat> excuse me, it will slow down the processes. So you may get your results, but they're going to be slowed down, and that may open you up for disease. But if you're trying to put 12, 14, or 16 lanes of traffic through a two-lane highway, it might actually crash the pathway. Okay, just like a too much traffic on a very small road, and the traffic will come to a screeching halt, and that's when you don't get what you're supposed to get from that particular pathway. So what is this traffic that I'm talking about? And I'm going to be using this analogy a lot as we're speaking. Increased traffic comes, can come from chronic infections, viral loads, food allergies, leaky gut syndrome, immune upregulation, autoimmune diseases, fungal infections, yeast, parasites, toxins, heavy metals, or combinations of things, things that we are simply exposed to that have taken root in our body and has upregulated our system, and now our biochemical pathways cannot process it. So here's some principles on page 7 of how you should interpret the SNPs, and I really want you to listen close. I think the worst thing you can do is take each SNP one by one, go look it up, and when you look it up, you get all kinds of conflicting information, and then you try to make conclusions within yourself. Okay, so interpreting each SNP one by one is courting confusion. It's actually quoting psychosis because it'll drive you nuts. Okay, you have to realize that each SNP, each gene, is but part of a biochemical pathway designed to create a certain result. The detoxification pathways in the liver are not just one gene. There's several, there's several enzymes encoded by the genes that detoxify different things. So the best way to view your test, your polymorphisms, is not from the trenches, but from the 30,000-foot point of view. I think that's a corporate term, isn't it? I'm not a corporate kind of guy, but it's either 10,000 or 30,000. I figured I'd pick the bigger one. Anyway, so when we look at the SNPs, we're going to look at them in small groups. And you'll see how it makes it a little bit easier to make judgments about yourself and the SNPs themselves. One last thing before we dive in. Let's look at how this is set up. If you take 
either Sterling's app or Livewello or actually most of them, on the one side you'll see the gene and the variation. The CYP, in this case, the CYP1A1 is the gene. The star 4 and all the rest of the numbers are the particular variation. They're a different person, okay? So it's in the CYP1A1 pathway. It is the gene. Those type of genes do certain things, okay, but there's slight variations, okay? The RSID number, every, poly, every gene in your body is identified by an RS number from 1 to 10 million, okay? So each particular gene that has been studied has an RS number. And if you wanted to research a particular gene on your own, if you have Sterling's app, it'll be blue. You can click it. It'll take you to Snippedia. Snippedia is like Wikipedia, only for SNPs. Now, understand when you get there, you're going to get a big list of practically every study that was done concerning that particular gene. It may say nothing. It may say a lot of things. It may say things that are seemingly contradictory. And it may say things that have absolutely nothing to do with you. Okay, but if that's what you want to do, and look, you kind of have to take things with a big grain of salt. You'll see as you do this on your own. So don't go too nuts about one gene. Okay, look at the general, where with the general direction things are going. Okay, uh, the risk allele. Uh, this is where all the research came in, finding the RS numbers and finding the risk allele. The risk allele is that amino acid that tells you if there's a SNP. Okay, look at the second one. You see GG. Okay, that's the allele. That's the way it's supposed to be. But if there were a T in there, GT, it would be heterozygous. If it were a TT, it'd be homozygous. Okay, on the, on the top, obviously TT is the, would be normal, so CT is heterozygous. Um, this is a result of a lot of research, and uh, it's... Just take it on faith that those are the risk alleles. They're very hard to find, okay? And the people who did the research, I have ultimate respect for. I've done some of it myself, but Ben Lynch and Sterling and Sean and, and all these people who were real, uh, you know, real researchers, and uh, they, they found the risk alleles, and it takes an awful lot of looking around in different areas of the Internet, and um, it can be um, <clears throat> daunting to say the least. Okay, let us go. Let us dive into this particular individual's 23andMe. Okay. If you'll notice, I put a bracket around the CYP1A1, 1A2, 1B1s in the top of this person's um, detox. This is the detox pathway. Sorry, I didn't put that on top. This is the cytochrome P450 liver detox pathways, okay? Now, if you look these up individually, you're going to see a lot of different things, but together, okay, the main theme is estrogen dominance. Uh, this person has a significant indicator of estrogen dominance, which has to be correlated with his clinical condition. In a woman, estrogen dominance can cause things like uh, PMS, PMDD, um, infertility, all kinds of uh, hormonal imbalances. In men, the estrogen dominance can, by itself or with other factors, give you symptoms of low testosterone. So one of the ways of treating low testosterone is to treat the estrogen dominance and perhaps the um, aromatase that's arising from the adipose tissue that's turning testosterone into estradiol. So we often see estrogen dominance up here. It's a, a, for us who, who treat people, uh, gives us a lot of information, especially when we can clinically correlate it. As we go down, these other genes, you kind of look at individually. And uh, in this particular person, when I looked up the CYP2D6, where you see the homozygous, this individual had difficulties with dextromethorphan, beta blockers, antiarrhythmics, and antidepressants. You can look at this bottom section and see if someone has difficulty with certain classes of medicines, and that may, may tell you something. But the CYP2D6T2850C was very important because this kind of person can be an ultrafast metabolizer phenotype. What does that mean? Well, 
it means that when this individual is given a medication or a, um, a vitamin that is supposed to last X amount of time, he metabolizes it very rapidly and his body does not get the full benefit of the pharmaceutical or nutraceutical. I happen to know this for a fact and have watched him take something and it gets an immediate effect, but it doesn't last very long. So this is the kind of person who would take a pill for 24 hours, okay, and it would burn through it in six. Okay, that can be pretty bad. And if you're interested, you can look up all the other uh, genes there and see what medications they might affect. Page 10 here, we're looking at the GPX, GSTM, uh, GSTP. This is the glutathione pathway. The ones that you see the uh, polymorphisms are glutathione peroxidase, glutathione S-transferase, and basically uh, these polymorphisms predict the bioavailability of glutathione, not that you're creating it or not, but whether the glutathione would be available to your body. Interesting, interesting, very interesting. And um, again, has to be clinically correlated. The NAT group, okay, the N-acetyltransferase. I have a link down there to let you know what acetylation is like because this all has to do with your ability to acetylate. What does that mean? Well, for some people it means that you can't break down aldehydes. Uh, the questions that I ask people when I see a lot of polymorphisms here are, gee, when you drink alcohol in the present time frame, does it make you sick immediately? Okay, and if they're like, hey, when I was younger, it was fine, but now every time I drink some alcohol, ugh, you know, I get sick immediately. Okay, and that's usually because they can't get past the aldehyde stage because alcohol, which is ethanol, breaks down into ethyl aldehyde, which then breaks down into ethacrinic acid, which breaks down into carbon dioxide and water. Okay, also, if you happen to have chronic yeast, candida albicans infections, okay, in the gut, they release an awful lot of acetylaldehyde, and you'd have trouble conjugating that. And that would be one of the reasons that the yeast can be a real problem for you. Uh, going back to the 1980s, yeast was a real problem. Well, yeast has always been a problem, but uh, during the 1980s, the big movement was don't feed the yeast. And uh, the yeast was blamed on everything. It was blamed on MS. It was blamed on every, every disease you can think of. Fact is that candida albicans when it gets to a certain point, it produces its own excitatory neurotransmitters and it produces a ton of acetylaldehyde. So once it takes up enough real estate in your gut, you start getting the effects of that, the inflammation from that. And depending on your biochemical pathways, it may express as MS or something like that. So I look at the uh, NATs and say, hmm, how well is that person handling maybe their sulfur groups, maybe their alcohol, and so forth. Then I look at the group, the SODs. SOD means superoxide dismutase, and what it indicates if there's polymorphisms like there are here is that there are certain free radicals that uh, one cannot conjugate. You can't get rid of your free radicals. Now, what is that? lead to it gives me a suspicion of mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, the bottom one, the PON1, which is not showing here, is specific for organophosphates, pesticides. Okay, you might find that if this has a polymorphism and that person lived near a farm or sprays a lot of Roundup, okay, their system might crash because of that PON1. So these, this little group tells you about the person's ability to handle certain free radicals and the fact that their mitochondria may not be working. Just as an aside, what is the mitochondria? The mitochondria are those organelles in a cell that actually create your energy. The mitochondria look like a little bacteria, and in fact millennia, millennia ago, they were their own bacteria. And they entered bigger cells like ours, 
and our waste products, believe it or not, were their food, and they created energy for us, okay? So it created a symbiotic relationship, which, in my opinion, helped evolution along. Don't, don't any of the other people yell at me. I'm just talking, okay? So every cell's got about three or 400 mitochondria in it, and just to give you an idea, our actual energy is something called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. That's our actual energy. One mole of glucose produces 38 ATPs. Now, a mole is not a furry animal. It's a measurement. Okay, 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd molecules, which is Avogadro's number, if you want to be impressed. Okay, and that mole of glucose will go through glycolysis. Okay, and then after glycolysis, it'll produce two ATPs and lactic and pyruvic acid. And with acetyl coenzyme A, we'll go into the Krebs cycle, which is this big honking uh, series of biochemical reactions that use several things, including oxygen. The end result of that is NADH and FADH2, which are the electron donors that go into the mitochondria. Now, coenzyme Q10 takes those electron donors into the mitochondria and puts them, there are five different complexes, okay, complex one through five, and as they go in, the enzymes pull off the protons, put them in the intermembrane space, hold on to the electrons, and at the end of it, if everything works, you have 36 ATPs plus the two, you have 38 ATPs. That's how you get your energy. Part of looking at your whole clinical condition and part of looking at the polymorphisms is to see if that particular pathway is working. And if there's a possibility that it's not, if you know where the glitches are, you know how to fix it. And part of bioindividualized medicine is dealing with acquired, what I like to call acquired mitochondrial dysfunction. Sean likes to call it secondary mitochondrial dysfunction, okay? Because anybody with a chronic illness, there's usually a problem in there. The next section is for the tongue-tied and cleft palate uh, babies. Uh, there's been a lot of research done uh, for this group, and Dr. Ben Lynch has done a, an, an immense amount of research in this area, and he's actually lectured on it. And instead of uh, me going into uh, this very deeply, I'm referring you to his... Um, webinar on tongue-tied and on tongue-tied babies mthfr tongue-tied webinar and you're going to learn a ton of information and um and he does a better job than i will okay i'm not going to bend your ear for something and reinvent the wheel but if you want to learn about tongue-tie and what you can do about it dr ben's uh at the cutting edge as he always is now we get into my favorite area allergy and mold now the allergy and mold Okay, it's actually three pages long. And it's real, it's real important that you look at it kind of together. Let's go over the mold portion, which are the first two ALA, HLAs. If I see what I see here, which is normal and one heterozygous, in my head I say, well, mold's not your friend. Okay, if I see two homozygous SNPs, my index of suspicion that this person's expressions, this person's syndrome may be affected by mold, gets very high, okay? So that's how you start saying, well, gee, have you been This person would say, well, mold's not really a, you know, may or may not be a problem, but I'm not going to jump out of my skin about it. But if there were two homozygous, they just may say, hey, <laughs> has anybody checked your house for mold? I mean, have anybody considered this? Okay, because that may be what's upregulating that nervous system. The next page is the IgE SNPs, okay? It says it on the bottom of the page 11, but on the, the rest of it's over here on page 12. And as you can see, this is pretty, pretty nasty, okay? This poor individual has polymorphisms in all but one. What does this mean? It means that when his body is exposed to an antigen that would go through the IgE pathway, which in fact creates histamine, he's going to overreact, okay? He's going to produce more histamine than the next person. This is bad, okay? If you look, this is bad because histamine is excitatory and is one of the reasons that cells get kind of ripped open and you get leaky cells. And you've heard of the leaky gut syndrome. Well, if you have leaky gut, 
then you've got a leaky blood-brain barrier. If you've got a leaky blood-brain barrier, you've got leaky mitochondria. Okay, and the more your cells are leaking, the more histamine you have running around, the more inflammation you have, and the less your body at the cellular level is working. So one of my big findings, my, one of my big considerations for this individual is like, oh my gosh, you're pumping out a lot of histamine. And wow, look at all those SNPs. So, you know, we've got to be careful about allergies. Now we look at the IgG, same thing. We've got two out of the three have polymorphism. Okay, a lot of times IgG may be from food allergies. Just because a immunoglobulin doesn't end up in histamine release doesn't mean it's not going to be a problem. Okay, you get enough immunoglobulins into a system, that's inflammation, and it's going to affect certain areas. And on the next page, the IgA, again, I tend to think of food allergies, okay? And like I said before, upregulation of immunoglobulins will cause havoc in the body. So if you look at this together, what would you say about this person, okay? One of your big thoughts should be, this is one hellishly allergenic person. So how would you go after something like this? What could this possibly cause? If you're, if you're producing a lot of histamines, you know, you're going to have the histaminic reactions, the, blood, the uh, drippy nose and all this good stuff. Okay, if you're producing a lot of immunoglobulins generally, you're going to have a lot of Im uh, inflammation. One of the ways of going after this is thinking about a leaky gut, as we spoke of before, okay, and going after fixing that gut because that will decrease the amount of antigens hitting the bloodstream and you won't produce as much product histamine, whatever it happens to be, and that will in and of itself decrease the inflammation. Inflammation is this person's biggest problem. How that inflammation expresses, we'll get to in a few minutes. But the generation of the inflammation, what's causing it, what's making it fly, however you want to put it, I would bank on these allergies. Okay, and they can be numerous, but how do you go after them? You can't make the person live in a bubble. <clears throat> so what you try and do is decrease the level of antigens going in. Think of inflammation as a big cauldron of bubbly stuff. Okay, and you start getting symptoms when the cauldron starts overflowing. And let's say that cauldron has four, four or five or six things feeding it. Well, if you can take away three of them, you'll decrease the amount of inflammation. If you can take away all of them, there won't be any inflammation. But you forget, some people forget that the body can handle a fair amount of things. It's only when you exceed its homeostatic mechanisms, its ability to heal, do you start getting symptoms. So allergies in this person is something I would follow up on. And um, wow, especially those IgEs, very, 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 very interesting. Am I confusing you guys yet? Is it time for a break? I don't know. All right, let's have a commercial. <laughs> I always wanted to do a commercial. <clears throat> okay, many people ask uh, Sean and I if we read uh, genetic profiles. Yes, we do. And as you can see, these can be pretty complicated and take time. We also bring other approaches to your health care. We consider all the aspects of your health and how these interact with one another. In other words... We treat the whole person, not just one aspect of you. And for those of you who have been searching, you realize that many doctors who call themselves holistic or call themselves integrative really only t treat part of you. Uh, but if you'd like more information about working with us um, and you'd like to know if we can help you, please contact us for a complimentary Get Acquainted session to see if there's a good fit. During this 15-minute session, we'll assess your challenges and goals and share with you how we would go about helping you. To contact myself, you would go to drjessarmine.com, click Contact Us, and put into the message that you'd like to schedule a Get Acquainted session. To contact Sean, you would email him at sean at matrixhealthwell.com. That's M-A-T-R-I-X, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, well, W-E-L-L, -L, it's all one word, dot com. Back to the polymorphisms. Okay, the next thing you see are the clotting factors. Okay, now, I'm going to approach the clotting factors in kind of a different way. There are 
different types of clotting factors that can be very important, like the factor V Leiden, prothrombin. But when you look at this as a whole, here's how I'd like you to think about it. If you had a clotting problem that you weren't clotting enough and you kept bleeding, okay, you'd have known about that a long time ago, and it would have been followed up and taken care of. The problem here is hypercoagulability, clotting too easily, okay? And the fact is, if you clot in less than one minute, this can be a problem. What is the problem? Well, you can be set up for a stroke. You can be set up for a heart attack. You can be set up for um, miscarriages. A lot of late-stage miscarriages, when, they, when the placenta is pulled out, you see that it's all clotted. So what questions do I ask clinically to see if these are expressing? Well, in a female of who's cycling of, of childbearing age, uh, one of the questions, as um, you know, it's a little tough to ask sometimes, is that during the menses, are they um, passing a lot of clots? Uh, you shouldn't be clotting at all. Okay, and if you're clotting a lot during your menses, then that can be a clotting problem. Uh, also, if you're shaving your legs and you get a nick and you, you know, put a, you know, put a, t- put a little piece of tissue on there and it stops bleeding in less than, less than a minute, that can be a problem. Another way of telling is if when you have blood taken, are you the kind of girl that, you know, puts the cotton on there, takes it off in five seconds, and there's no bleeding, you put the Band-Aid on, okay? Fast clotting is not necessarily a good thing. For men, I ask them if they're shaving and they get a nick uh, and they, you know, hold a tissue on it, does it stop bleeding really fast? Okay, same question with uh, the blood taking. A lot of people don't know, so you have them keep an eye on it, okay? This may be a reason for, um, may it's not a primary, but it could be a secondary reason to other Uh, things that people may have problems and it's worth asking the questions okay we are into the methylation area okay the methylation area I'm going to start with these four SNPs uh, the ACE ADD ACAT and the AGT the ACE is the angiotensin converting enzyme okay and that has to do basically with hypertension as does the ADD or adductin-1, and the AGT on the bottom, which also has investiture in uh, preeclampsia. The acetylcoenzyme A, C-acetyltransferase, is uh, practically involved in almost every biochemical process in the body. So the fact is that if you look at these four, the overriding thing is hypertension. So if you've got a bunch of polymorphisms here, excuse me, you look for perhaps hypertension in the body um, and maybe the cholera that goes along with that. If you have a high incidence of hypertension, you're overweight, you've got a a hypercoagulability problem, okay, you're really kind of being set up for, you know, a... um, some type of um, clotting event that, you know, may cause a stroke or a heart attack or something like that. By the way, you, people with Lyme, okay, one of the ways that Lyme protects itself is by making you hypercoagulable. So one of the reasons you clot faster may be because of Lyme. Now, going through the, um, the methylation pathway, what I did on the next page, which is page 15, was take... Uh, a portion of the circles from the Neurologic Research Institute from Amy Asco, so I could go over it slightly with you so you'd have an idea of where these polymorphisms are in the process. Okay, and <clears throat> we're going to start at the top of the middle circle where you see THF. THF is tetrahydrofolate. That is your dietary folate. Uh, it passes by an enzyme which is not there. I put an arrow to it called MTHFS, which is methylene tetrahydrofolate synthase. Gee, I wonder what it synthesizes. And it synthesizes 510-methylene tetrahydrofolate. And if I say something that fast, ignore it, please. Okay, it's not that important. So the 510-methylene tetrahydrofolate is rendered again by the enzyme methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, MTHFR, and turned into 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. 
Also, you see that the left circle there, MTHFR, does have contribution to the creation of neurotransmitters. And um, usually we don't spend a lot of the, most of the books don't spend a lot of time on that, but uh, there's a relationship between MTHFR itself and the creation of dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, serotonin, and so forth, okay, and uh, that shouldn't be ignored. Okay, that product, 5-methyltetrahydrofolate, goes past MTR and MTR, okay, becomes methyl B12, okay, hangs out with methionine, somehow or another in the process loses its methyl group and has to be remethylated, and that's what the, all that junk is on the side, and... Uh, I always think of the BHMT as part of that process or the SAMe as part of that process. I know it's not completely exacting, but um, it's a, um, the way I think about it when I overview this. Okay, becomes SAH and goes past AHCY to become homocysteine. Homocysteine goes past cystathione beta synthase. wonder what that synthesizes. Cystathione. There's another enzyme in between there that turns cystathione into cysteine, and with alpha-ketoglutarate, it becomes glutathione. Glutathione is your body's master antioxidant and antitoxicant. That is what you use to detoxify yourself. Okay? When these pathways get screwy, sometimes you can have too much ammonia, and that's where the brain fog comes in. And a lot of times when you have a very high taurine, okay, that can indicate difficulties in that CBS pathway. On the left-hand side, you see that there's MAOA, COMT, and COMT. MAOA um, breaks down, well, according to this, serotonin, in my estimation, it breaks down dopamine. Okay, and an MAOB breaks down serotonin, but I don't want to have a wrestling match with Dr. Yasko. Okay, COMT is what breaks down the excitatory neurotransmitters, dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. We're about to go through that in a couple of minutes, okay? Less than a couple of minutes. Okay, so now that I told you that, I told you that to tell you this. On page 16, we start seeing the methylation polymorphisms, the possibilities. You have the HCY, which catalyzes um, ADOHCOI, which is um, homocysteine, um, right, to, to adenosine and homocysteine. And it's believed to create it, I'm sorry, to play a critical role in the regulation of biological methylations. We see a lot of polymorphisms here. You start looking for very high or very low homocysteine, which may be a problem in the body. The BHMT changes trimethylglycine to dimethylglycine, providing a methyl group. Believe it or not, people who have inner sadness have problems with the BHMT. And sometimes depression has been cured by taking trimethylglycine. The BHMT gene is essential to the shortcut through the methylation cycle, like you saw in the circle, helping to convert homocysteine to methionine. Uh, this is important. The activity of this gene can be affected by stress, cortisol levels, and may affect various neurotransmitters. So remember that the stress can be from uh, various infections and so forth. CBS, cystathione beta synthase. Okay, everybody gets nutty about the CBS because it is important in the transsulfation pathway that produces glutathione, like I just said. How do you know if it's a problem? Well, if you have difficulty with sulfur foods, uh, sulfur foods, things like cruciferous vegetables, uh, garlic, onions, I mean, they really make you sick, or uh, sensitivity to sulfur medications, or sensitivity to vitamins like N-acetylcysteine, which is highly sulfuric. If you have a real sensitivity to those things, there's probably an issue in the CBS pathway. Uh, people don't treat this by yourself. We have found that when people just simply follow a protocol, they may create, take high sulfur and knock it into low sulfur and create just as many problems. Okay, these are, as you've noticed, this is not an easy thing uh, to balance on your own. COMT, catechol O-methyltransferase, okay? There's dashes between the O and the methyltransferase, but I like to think of it as an apostrophe, so I make it an Irish gene. You know, catechol O-methyltransferase. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, well, hopefully everybody's laughing. 
Anyway, what COMT does is it metabolizes catecholamines, which are the excitatory neurotransmitters, okay? And if you don't have a functioning COMT, you usually get a backup of excitatory neurotransmitters. What does that do? Well, if you have polymorphisms there, you're probably the kind of person that when you get upset, you hold on to it for a while. You may not show it, but you feel it. And you look at other people who get upset and it kind of lets it go right away. And you're like, how do they do that? Well, it's their genetic structure. If you have SNPs in the, G in the COMT and they are expressing, you're going to not break down your excitatories. And if you have processes in your body that are creating large amount of excitatory neurotransmitters, okay, it's just going to back it up. And therefore, you're going to be feeling more and more excitation. And that may, that may express as anxiety, anger, or whatever. On the next page, you see the DAO enzymes. And uh, for our Asian patients, that's not the DAO. Okay, that's diamine oxidase, which is important for the metabolism of extracellular histamine. A lot of times somebody who's producing a lot of histamine, they really do well if they're, if they're put on diamine oxidase, which is available, um, histoblock, uh, dowsin, and there's a couple of other products out there that are diamine oxidase. I want you to look at the FOLR. Okay, the FOLR receptors are your folate receptors. And these can be blocked by folic acid. Pay attention, people. You get a lot of SNPs here, and you're taking folic acid. It preferentially binds to those FOLR receptors and leaving the active reduced folates in the blood, and they're not able to get into the cells. That is really bad. That is really bad. We've all been talking lately about we shouldn't be using folic acid. People, this is the reason why. Okay, there's a lot of people with polymorphisms in the FOLRs, okay, the folate receptors. The folic acid blocks those receptors and doesn't allow the folates to get into the cells to be part of the whole methylation cycle. The methylation cycle is involved in everything. Okay, so now you know why folic acid is a bad thing. I don't care what your doctor says. I honestly don't, okay? <laughs> if you need folates, get it properly. The FUT2, I'm not going to try and pronounce that word because it'll sound like I'm cursing. Okay, I think of it as your ability to hold on to B12. Okay, when I see a, um, a bunch of, poly, uh, like a bunch of homo, uh, homozygous, I tend to see that this person is draining their B12. Uh, the G6PD, uh, this can be a bad thing if you actually have G6PD deficiency. Okay, there are other ways of checking into it. If you saw a deficiency here, you would uh, go ahead with different testing. The GADs are very, very, very important. I'm going to flip the page because I want to go over the glutamic acid decarboxylase genes, okay? I like to call these the general anxiety disorder genes. And I want everybody to take a deep breath and calm down, okay? The general anxiety disorder genes, the GAD SNPs, do not mean that you are going to get depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar disease, schizophrenia. I have more people call me up who look at these genes, look them up, and get themselves all discombobulated, okay? What this means, if you've got a bunch of uh, polymorphisms, especially if they're red, okay, if they're homozygous, which can be a little bit more serious, when you discombobulate, and yes, that's a scientific term, okay, the scientific term in the process of discombobulation, okay, is one of my specialties. Um, I hope everybody's laughing. I can't hear anybody. It's terrible. There's no, there's no feedback. Anyway, uh, if you discombobulate, that's the direction you'll head. That's why people head towards anxiety disorders. Or if they're really dysfunctional, they may head towards the more serious mental illnesses. Recently, I, had, I um, consulted with a woman uh, who has a serious addiction and psychosis, and no one did any of um, any proper blood work on her. I haven't gotten her um, 23andMe back, but I did find that she had PANDAS, okay, uh, because of chronic strep. She had high copper, okay, indications of Lyme. And I'm willing to bet that she has a genetic structure that lends itself to go towards psychosis. 
So guess what? All right? That would be the root cause. If we calm down that root cause, then we take the traffic away from the pathways, and then those genes don't express. Okay, GAMT. I'm not going to try and pronounce that word either. Okay, the defects in this gene have been implicated in neurologic symptoms, uh, and you can read it as well as I can. Neurologic symptoms, muscular hypotonia. I don't see too much of this uh, because this is due to creatinine deficiency. MAOA is called the warrior gene. Okay, that, like COMT, it doesn't allow you to break down your excitatories. So they call it the warrior gene because when you have COMT and this, as you're getting ready to go into battle and you're building yourself up, okay, and you're getting that excitation up, that excitation lasts. And that's what makes a good warrior because you can go after them. It would be pretty bad if, you got, if you're dancing around the fire and you get that excitation up and then you're going onto the battlefield, going after whomever, and about halfway across, you know, you just lose all that feeling. Okay, you might say, forget this, I'm heading backwards, okay? Uh, the warrior gene is great if you're a warrior, but if you are in our society, uh, it's one of the reasons for big-time anxiety disorders and combine that with histamine and so forth, and you start breaking down the body real well. Uh, MAT1, I gave you a link there so that you can understand uh, what that means. It's not, it's not a very usual gene. Okay, and... The MTHFD1s, which is the last thing I'll mention, although it's on the next time we're going to do it, has to do with your ability to hold on to the phospholipid choline. So we are at 8.45, and I promised uh, questions and answers, and I see somebody on the um, call. So I am going to answer this call. I hope uh, everybody's listening. Hold on. Hello, caller from 626. How are you? Hi, Dr. Jess. Great. Great. Yeah, very informative show. Thank you. Yes, Do you have a question for us? Yes. I was looking over my uh, my report. Um, it looks like the, we were talking about the SOD2 SNPs, the super mm -hmm. onset dismutase. I happen to be um, in the red. Uh, I guess homozygous for all three. What you do with that... Okay, um, is <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mean to sound facetious. Is listen to the next show because the next show we're going to go through uh, the nitrous oxide synthase and all the mitochondrial SNPs. I'm going to put a mitochondria up and show you how that works through there. What that does is tell you that there's a possibility and a, and a pretty strong possibility that your mitochondria not, might not be working uh, at its peak efficiency. And um, depending on what your clinical symptoms are, uh, you may, that may be a portion of what's happening. Do you have a lot of fatigue or uh, anything like that? Yes. Okay, one, one, you know, there's lots of reasons for fatigue, brother, okay, and you need to know that. And that's why uh, you need to, oh, everybody needs to realize that you really shouldn't do this kind of stuff by yourself. And I'm not just hawking my own services, but it should be done with somebody who's learned in the area so you don't concentrate on one thing. Fatigue can be caused by mitochondrial dysfunction, by thyroid problems, by uh, chronic infection or combinations of things, anemia, that kind of stuff. You know, that stuff all has to be, um, all has to be ruled out. But that's a good call if you're... Um, if you have uh, homozygous SOD2s right down the board, it kind of raises a red flag, no pun intended, that the, um, that the uh, you know, uh, mitochondria might be involved. And if they are involved, it's not a, uh, it's not a horrible thing anymore. We're, you know, there's research out there. There's, um, there's certain things that are being utilized that are uh, really helping the mitochondria open up and work again. Okay, it's not the end all that it used to be. It's not the okay, we can't do anything about it. Do you have another question? And the, well, this SODs, do they also, uh, are they, uh, how do they work with free radicals? Is that involved at all? They think of the SOD, superoxide dismutase, as breaking down free radicals. And uh, think of it as you're one of partially your ability to break down uh, free radicals because it's an enzyme. Okay, so uh, you can get into the... We, you think the biochemistry of it, but you want the overview. 
okay, what, what you're suspicious of, okay, and uh, superoxide dismutase, that's what it does. It breaks down, it, it conjugates or breaks down free radicals. You know, you talk about antioxidants, okay, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Yes, I do agree with you. It's best to work with a practitioner. Practitioner, there's just so much going on here, but I thank you so much, Dr. Jess. You're most welcome. Okay, people, I know you're out there. Okay, I can hear you breathing. We got 10 more minutes. Okay, somebody's, I know I've got, I see like 40 people over here. Somebody's got to be asking questions. Okay, I know you've got your, your um, 23 and Me's in front of you, so either type in the question, okay, or call us at 646-595-2277. I'm waiting. I know you're there. Okay, I didn't think I was going to have to make stuff up. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, I'll keep talking for a couple of minutes here. And um, you see the the movie um, Wayne's World when uh, when Garth gets stuck on TV by himself, you know, and his head just starts like his head's going to explode. That's kind of how I feel about feel about this second. <laughs> Anyway, what I've been talking about, uh, like, like the last caller, is uh, you know talking about bioindividualized medicine. And the reason that we created this terminology was uh, to introduce everybody to the need. Oh, here comes another question. Great. Oh, more questions. I like it. Hold on. There we go. Caller from the 603 area code. And how are you? Good. Hi, my name's Krista. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Oh, well, how are you? Good. What, what question do you question, have? Well, I had a question about a patient um, because I can see that you can supplement with a TMG or DMG. And so we haven't gotten her 23 and knee results back, but we know that she is um, heterozygous for one of the MTHFRs, and her B12 serum came up low, and so did her folic acid. And so we gave her some B12, and she just had, like, worsening fatigue, um, and it felt really sensitive to just taking a B-complex with the active folate and B12. And um, she's also very, you can, you, that's why I want to do 23andMe, because you can tell she's like overproducing histamine because she's super reactive to lots of foods and when she feels a lot better when she reduces histamine in her food. So I just had there a little question about more about the BHMT. And do you see differences well, with something like the DMT or It sounds like you have a... Sounds like you have a problem in the whole methylation pathway. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you if you're going to use TMG, okay, uh, there's been three responses I've noticed when you start adding methyl groups in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the first response is they don't feel good at all. Okay, which means right. <laughs> just back up. You 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 back the wrong horse. Okay, you're in the wrong yeah. part of the pathway. The second response is they feel pretty good, and then after about a week they start feeling bad again. Now, what you've done there is overmethylate. Okay, and the way you treat that is with niacin. Yeah. And then the third response is, you know, you, you add in whatever it is, whatever part of the pathway, whether it's, you know, hydroxycobalamin or it's uh, folinic acid, not folic acid, but folinic acid or 5-methylfolate or uh, methyl B12 or adenosyl B12 or however you're going about it. Okay, trimethylglycine, da da Okay, uh, you can um, uh, you know, you'll, you know, they'll get better and they'll just continue to get better, okay, in which case you've hit the, the, the nail on the head. The biggest problem, of course, is you have to look at this clinically, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, polymorphisms give you an indicator, may be helpful, and as you've noticed, sometimes they're not very helpful, okay? Uh, if, you're, if the person's sensitive, I'm a low and slow kind of guy. Okay, yeah. you're never wrong by going low and slow. So I may start off with a quarter of the recommended dosage and work my way up. Okay, whenever you're adding methyl groups, you're never wrong by having um, niacin, like nicotinic acid, standing by uh, because uh, if there's an acute overmethylation, 50 milligrams an hour until they feel better is usually good. Uh, to have somebody taking niacin on a more regular basis, um, that's not a bad idea. 
uh, because like it in a complex, the, I think it has like a hundred milligrams of niacin in the D complex. Okay. When you're dealing with somebody that that sensitive, um, I I generally don't like to use complexes. Okay. Uh, oh, as, okay. As annoying as that can be, I usually mm-hmm. do single things until I find the right combinations, and then I look for a complex with everything in it. Because when you give someone a complex, you have no idea what part of it they're reacting to. Right. Uh, and uh, with with uh, people with sensitive nervous systems, high histamine, and you know the kind of person that you you um, you you know give something to, and they're always reacting, they're hyper reacting to it. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you have to use a little bit, little bit by little bit. So even if you're going to do it at four day intervals, five day intervals, okay, um, just choose one. And um, if you used, what did you use at first that you didn't do well with? We did a, a pure encapsulation B complex that has the 5-MTHFR and it also has mm-hmm. methyl B12. And so yeah, I would really suggest that you that you back up and do one thing <laughs> yeah. at a time. You know, get methyl yeah. B12. Yeah, she, get, liked, um, she liked that one. She liked that. Did good on that, but then we added more B12, and that's when her fatigue got worse. Okay. All right. So yeah. back up. Just back up. Just back up. You know, it's uh, you know, there's no you're never wrong by going back to where it worked. Okay, the uh, the art of doing this is that you look at these polymorphisms, and they don't necessarily mean that there's a problem. Okay, and yeah. it can mean there's a problem, and then it may have a problem because of, you know, whatever the root causes are, and then you get rid of the root causes, and they don't have the problem anymore. So we've mm-hmm. adopted the the uh, we've adopted the attitude of healing the body first, you know, going after the adrenals, balancing the neurotransmitters, healing the gut, even before we go after the methylation. Uh, notice that people who, that, that the um, times we go after the methylation, at first, uh, you know, we've seen more mistakes and people get worse. Okay, so that's why we're doing that, because once you take the traffic away from the pathways, a lot of those pathways that aren't working will just simply start working again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's. I mean, okay. she's been doing a healing a diet and adrenal work for a while. So. Okay, good. All right, I'm not. I'm just, you know, just chattering. I didn't say you were doing reinforcing wrong. it. Yeah, no. And if our homocysteine is high, I mean, is that a higher, a better indication that she needs more of the DMG or TMG or more of the folate, or you just have to kind of check it. You have to kind of play with it. Do you, you know? Okay. You know, you use the one that doesn't cause the problem, and that's okay. how you're going to know you're on the right path. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for calling. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Person on the... Hello there. This is Dr. Armine. How are you? I'm fine. Hey, um, I have a question. Um, I'm looking at my 23andMe report under clotting factors, and I don't know why I didn't look at this before, I guess because I've had so much going on, but on October 8th of this year, I had a CVA. And um, since that time, I've also had four um, TIAs. Um, I'm 41. (laughs) And when I'm looking at the clotting factors on my report, I see in that section lots of yellow and one red. And on Mm -hmm. F3, it's red. It's it's homozygous for risk of ischemic vascular events, which I'm kind of shocked right now. But what... I mean, what right now I'm on um, warfarin, which I hate being on because I've been floxed, and so I'm terrified to have mm. any medications mm-hmm. in my body other than anything natural. But I left the hospital thinking I could just take a baby aspirin. But then that very next day, I had a, I had two more, um, I had two mini strokes. So I went back into the ER, was terrified, and thought, okay, I've, I tried to, you know, ride this out, but I, you know, I'm 41. I've got a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old. I better take the um, blood thinners. So right now I'm taking warfarin every day and two baby aspirin. But, I mean, obviously I'm 41. I, I don't, they, there's no, they can't find like a reason because of my blood mm-hmm. pressure is fine, my cholesterol is fine. All the blood work comes back perfectly normal and great, you know. Okay. Well, usually, um, only because we've got less than a minute left, you, you know, feel free to give me a call and um, we'll do a, you know, a get acquainted session so I can answer your questions more because that, okay. that British lady is going to inter- in- interrupt us a lot. But real fast, um, just because everything is normal does not mean that it's optimal. There are lots of reasons for hypercoagulability, like I said, Lyme and so forth. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would be looking for what make what made you hypercoagulable okay and um if you if it was your choice 
uh, I would suggest uh, natural alternatives to the warfarin. I agree that, you know, you have to be very, very careful because we certainly don't want uh, another stroke or anything. But right. I do understand your uh, perception that, you know, maybe some stone's been left unturned. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And and I would I would talk to you at length, but it says twenty seconds left. <laughs> I know. I know. Feel free I to know. call again. Okay. And, and we'll okay. talk, we'll talk right. at length. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Doctor Jess. Okay. In the next ten seconds, you're welcome. The next ten seconds, let me let let everybody know. Merry Christmas. We're not having a we're not having a show next week. We're gonna have it the week after. Thank you so much for letting me in your lives. Take care now. Oh, where the hell it go?